door. Uh, if you'll remember, I said we're not going to be taking any special <laughs> offering this week. Uh, we're doing great. We're not hurting financially as a church. It's not one of those, you know, send them out there to talk about money and hopefully they'll give more. That's not, that's not it at all. Uh, things are going great. Uh, remember, I, I, I said, and I mean it, and I'll, I'll remind you this week because it's so important. The only reason that we're talking about this, well, not the only, the main reason is because Jesus talked about it, but the most important thing is also that uh, I want our families, your family and my family, to look at money the same way that God looks at money. I want us to look at money the way God looks at money. Uh, I want, if, if Grayson has the opportunity to get married one day, I don't want his wife ever uh, wondering, competing against money for his affection. If, if Molly Kate, my daughter, has a chance to get married, I don't want my future son-in-law contemplating bankruptcy because my daughter has a spending problem. I, I, I just don't want it. I want, I want Jesus to rule their hearts and reign in their lives in, in such a way that money has its right place. That's my desire for my family. That's my desire for your family. And so the only way for that to, to, to happen, the only way that we can assure that that happens is to go to God's word and see, what does God say about money? What is, how does he talk about it? And so that's what I'm hoping to do these two weeks. Last week, we just said that our treasure, our, our treasure needs to be stored up in heaven where, where it never goes away. The things that are important to us need to be important to God. And so our treasure needs to be stored in heaven. And this week... That leads us into to this week. Um, one of the things that, that I think we can all agree on is that no matter if no matter where you are financially, if you have a, a lot of money in the bank account at the end of each month, you, you never have to worry about paying bills. I mean, you have more than enough. You bring in more than enough. Or you're on the other side, you're on the other end, and there are more days in the month than there is money in the bank account. No matter who you are or where you are in that continuum, the one thing that we that we have to understand, the one thing that Bible that the Bible teaches us is that the driving force of our lives must be Christ, must be Jesus. It doesn't matter if we have more money than enough or we don't have enough money to pay all of our bills. Jesus needs to be the driving force of our life. He needs to be the one who we long after, who we desire for. That's what Paul taught. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10, he said this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You didn't know. Next verse, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. Next verse, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Next verse. I can do all things through Christ or through Him who strengthens me. Paul says, I have learned how to be content in every situation. I know how to have more money than I could ever spend in my bank account. And I know how to go needing things that are very important, that, are, that, that sustain life. 
I know how to have a lot. I know how, how to have a little. I know how to live on ramen noodles. I can, I can eat with the best of you at Ruth's Chris. I can, I can sleep in the fields because I don't have money to, to lay my head anywhere else. And I can join you at the Ritz-Carlton. I can do it all. I've learned, and I can be content in every situation. And here's how I've learned. This is the secret that I've learned. Here's how I've learned to be content. It's Christ. I understand that if I need something, even life-sustaining things, I can be content in Christ. He knows exactly what I need, and he can give them to me. If I have more than enough, I've learned that it all belongs to the Lord anyway. It's all his anyway. I have learned the secret of contentment, and it's found in Christ. You may be saying, wait, wait, Scott. I mean, you're supposed to say that, but brother, I just need to pay my mortgage. I mean, what I really need to do is pay my mortgage. And we're going to get to that here in just a few minutes. I don't want to discount that because that is so important. But the sustaining drive of our life, the power of our life, the the aim of our life, according to the scriptures, must be Christ. And the aim of our life is Christ if we are making more money than we ever expected to make. And the aim of our life, the desire of our life, the force of our life is Christ if we don't know how we're going to even pay the bills. And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the scriptures teach when it comes to money. Whenever I've heard most people talk about money or teach about money, preach about money, um, they've really done a really extremely poor job. And it's really in two camps. The, the biggest camp, or the, the most massive camp, the, the one that has the greatest following, is, is uh, something called the teaching the prosperity gospel. And the way that I would define the, the prosperity gospel is like this. The prosperity gospel is teaching that God wants or will wills all believers to be physically healthy, materially wealthy, and personally happy. So the the prosperity gospel, the teachers of the prosperity gospel will get up on TV, get up on the stage, and they'll say this. God's number one desire for you, the top of the mountain, so to speak, for you, is that you would be these three things, materially wealthy, you would be rich, you would be physically healthy, and you would be personally happy. That is the number one thing that God has for you. Now, some people would, will, will listen to that, to that uh, message, and they go, no, that's not right. And so they'll take their teaching, and they'll swing all the way over to the other side. They'll kind of swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side, and they'll teach this. The Bible says that it's difficult for a rich man to get to heaven. In fact, it's so difficult that it's easier to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. So, God must want us to be poor. He wants us to live hand to mouth. He wants us to to place all of our faith in Him, and He does, but the way that you do that, the way way that you show the world that you're doing that, is you don't save anything. You just live hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. And so they'll swing the pendulum all the way over to this side and teach that because they've heard the other message, the other Uh, prosperity message that is is given. 
And this morning, I just want to show you on the authority of Scripture that neither of those are the gospel. There's nothing, uh, God's chief desire for you is not that you would be wealthy and healthy and happy. His chief desire for you, just as we saw, is that you would get Jesus. That you would know Jesus, that you would know Christ, that that the power of the Holy Spirit would dwell in you and then would lead your, your life in a way that honors and glorifies the King. And so that's that, that that's wrong. But in exactly the same way, the other message is wrong as well. There's nothing intrinsically virtuous about being poor. There's nothing intrinsically virtuous about taking the gifts that God has given. Uh, talents that God has given you and setting those aside for the sake of being poor. There's nothing intrinsically virtuous about that, according to Scripture. What Jesus longs, I mean, what the, the Scriptures long for you and what God longs for you if, you, if you're poor today, is that you would get Jesus. That the Holy Spirit would, would control and lead your life to, in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. So, We're going to look at both of those this morning. And then we're going to come back to the scriptures and show, uh, just look at one more thing. So, the the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, like I said, says that the the chief desire of God is that all of us would be wealthy, healthy, and happy. Now, I'm not sure how anybody buys that. Buys this message because think about all of the people that you've ever been to church with that would claim Christ, that, 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 that's a Christian. I mean, think about all of those people that you've ever rubbed shoulders with on Sunday morning or, or at your home groups or maybe if you, if you come from, you know, on Wednesday nights, that sort of thing. That's your, your background in church. Think of all the hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that you've rubbed shoulders with, shoulders with that claim Christ. How many of them would would say that they were healthy, wealthy, and happy all at the same time. The only people that I could think of this week when I was studying were the people that preached this nonsense. I mean, I, I don't know anybody else that was healthy, wealthy, and happy for any extended period of time that I've ever met. I couldn't think of anybody. And I, I, I mean, I was drugged to church before I was even born, and I couldn't think of anybody. That was all three of those things. So how do we buy this stuff? How, how do we believe this stuff? And I want to show you two reasons or two ways. Number one is this. I think in and of ourselves, in our flesh, when the Spirit is not guiding us, number one, our flesh desires this. I mean, after all, you're telling me that God wants me to be healthy, physically healthy, I mean, that, that's his chief desire is that I would be physically healthy. Sign me up. I mean, after all, I have walked with several people, many people actually, through great sickness. I mean, sickness unto death. And I've, I've gone day after day after day, the last week or two of their life, and spent hours with them. And I will tell you, without a doubt, I mean, without fail, every single time I walk out of that hospital in those situations, every single time... It, it, it crosses my mind. Scott, one day that's going to be you. One day, you're not walking out of here. 
It may not be you right now. You may be ministering and walking alongside this family who's facing their last days. But one day, Scott, it's your turn. And so if you're telling me that God wants to be physically healthy, sign me up. If that's his chief desire, sign me up. No, you're saying he wants me to be wealthy, materially wealthy. I'll take that one too. I mean, whenever Mary Jo and I got married, we left Virginia, got, we, we, got, uh, we resigned from our jobs, got married, and moved halfway across the United States within two weeks. Would not recommend it to anybody. But that's what we did. We, we were dumb at the time. Probably still dumb, but dumber at the time. So we did all three of those things within two weeks. Resigned from our jobs, moved so I could go to seminary. The, between the two of us, between the two of us, we made $22,000 a year. We were poor. I mean, the only reason we even got, got by some days was because our parents had pity on us. Because they knew how much money we made. All right? We had a couple problems. Called dad. Dad, we are in trouble. All right, son, don't worry about it. I got you covered this month. If it wasn't for their generosity and for their pity, we wouldn't have made it through. And so if you're telling me that I can, that I, I, I can, that God wants me to be wealthy, sign me up. I'm there. And he wants you to be personally happy. Happy, happy all the time. Spell it with your body. H-A-P-P-Y. He wants you happy. I'll do it to the best that I can if that's what he wants. And so the first reason that I think we buy this message, and you'll see in just a few minutes, it's not just Americans. The reason that we buy this stuff is because our flesh (laughs) desires it. I mean, in and of ourselves, when we're not being led by the Spirit, when, when the controlling direction of our life is not the Spirit. We want it. Number two, they distort what the Scriptures teach. These teachers, these prosperity teachers, distort what the Scriptures teach. I mean, all throughout the the Scriptures, there are promises that are given to us in Christ. There are promises. He is going to protect us. He's going to watch over us. He's, he's going. He, his desire for us is good and not evil. His desire for us is is is, um, is uh, to, to to know Christ. His desires are are good for us. I mean, he's a loving father, and the scriptures are clear about that. He protects us. He watches over us. I mean, I don't want anything bad to happen to my kids, and I'm a terrible dad compared to to my heavenly father. He wants us. To have good things. But he knows that the best thing for us is his son, Jesus. He knows that the best thing for us is is to have a savior. He knows that the best thing for us, the thing that we desperately, desperately need, is somebody to intercede on our behalf because our sin has convicted us to death. We need somebody to intercede to the Father for us. And that's exactly what God has done when he sent his son. And so there are many, many verses about the good things that God wants for us. But, but these, these prosperity teachers will, will take those verses and they'll, they'll take them out of context or they'll, they'll, they'll just give half of the truth and they'll make it think that God's chief desire is for us to have health, wealth, and happiness. When his chief desire is good things for us and that is found in Jesus. 
Now, along with that comes health sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes that comes with wealth, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there's happiness, sometimes there's not. But in any of those situations, if you know Christ, He's the driving force of your life, then there's contentment. And so they'll take a verse like John 10.10. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And those prosperity preachers will stand up and they'll say, God wants you to have an abundant life. And then they're the ones that get to define what abundant life looks like, what a, what, what a life to the fullest looks like. And they'll undoubtedly define it as health, wealth, and happiness. That's what God, That's what an abundant life looks like. But if you look at the context of John chapter 10, that's not what an abundant life is being taught at all. That's not what Jesus says an abundant life looks like. In the preceding verses right above that, Jesus says... That I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. They know me, and they follow me. And a sheep, a, a sheep that knows the shepherd and knows the shepherd's voice is protected, is safe. A, a sheep that knows the, the shepherd's voice has an abundant life. That's what abundant, an abundant life looks like. A sheep that knows the voice of the shepherd. And a sheep that hears that voice, follows the voice, and obeys the shepherd's voice. That is what an abundant life looks like. It has nothing to do with personal health, wealth, and happiness. An abundant life looks like a a life that knows the shepherd, knows the shepherd's voice, and follows the shepherd's commands. Now, obviously, we don't follow those commands perfectly, but that's where we swim in grace. And we're thankful for it. But that's what an abundant life looks like. Another example, Mark chapter 10. And uh, the ver- uh, let me see if I can find the, the verse. Uh, let's see, Mark chapter 10, 29 and 30. I'll give you the, the Scott uh, um, uh, translation. Jesus is teaching and he says, truly I say to you, if you'll leave your house and your home and your family for my sake, then I'll return it to you a hundredfold. In this life and in the next. Well, the prosperity teachers will get up on the stage, get on the the, um, TV and they'll say, hundredfold. If you'll give me ten dollars, I promise that God will give you a hundred. If you give me a hundred, I promise that God will give you a thousand. A thousand 10,000. But if you read the verse right below that, verse chapter, or verse 31, it says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And that's Jesus talking. This, this verse is saying, is inviting us to follow Jesus, is inviting us into a relationship of discipleship, that you will look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. And tomorrow than you did today. It's inviting you into discipleship. And that is where your investment is going to be multiplied. You get to know Jesus. And you know him more. You you know his voice in a a more intimate way. Your, your, Your relationship with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is strengthened. That is where the hundredfold increase comes from. 
and looks like according to the scriptures. And the thing that is, I think, the most infuriating to me about this teaching is that it is exported outside of the United States to Asia, Africa, and South America to third world countries. If you'll just, if you'll just believe what I'm saying, your sheep won't die. If you'll just believe what I'm saying, your, your, your daughters won't be enslaved. If you'll just believe what I'm saying, your, your sons who, have, who drink dirty water day after day won't die. If you'll just believe what I'm saying, it'll be multiplied. You'll be as rich as me. And that's being exported from the United States around the world. And it is enslaving people. And it is wrecking people's lives. You know, whenever you dig under the surface a little bit, what is being offered with a prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. And it saves nobody. Because the thing that you worship the most, the the, the pinnacle of your worship when you believe the prosperity gospel is health, wealth, and happiness. And the result is the God of the universe becomes a bellhop that answers the phone and does whatever you demand. And the king of all kings, the Lion of Judah, will not be your bellhop. He will be the one who is worshipped. He will be the one who is on the top. He is the one who is preeminent. He is the one who is worshipped. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the one who saves. And so this message of health, wealth, and happiness is really no gospel at all. Because it saves nobody. So, you have the prosperity gospel that is ravaging lives, but is really no gospel at all. And in response to that message, and the millions and millions of people that are buying into it around the world, in response to that insidious message, there are other people who swing the pendulum over and they say, no, instead, there, there's virtue, there's intrinsic virtue in being poor. And I don't think you see that in scripture either. He has called some people to live hand to mouth. He told the rich man, sell all that you've got, give it to the poor. He has called some people to that. In fact, our family supports uh, some missionaries. Every month we give a little bit of money to missionaries who live hand to mouth. God has called them to missions, called them to raise their own support, live hand to mouth. And they are knocking the ball out of the park and reaching these students that they've been called to reach with the gospel. But he is, I do not believe on the authority of Scripture that he's called all of us to that. In fact, I wrote this down because I want to make sure I say this sentence right. If I can find it. Since the Bible tells us our giving should be generous, sacrificial, and joyful, it must mean some of us actually need to live money-producing lives. I don't think that wealth in and of itself is evil. The love of it, yes but not in and of itself. In fact, if you look all through the scriptures, Abraham had tremendous holdings, valuable assets, including gold and land. 
Joseph, second most powerful person <laughs> in the world, had great wealth. King David, nobody's poor in the king category, and that included David. But he looked like a pauper compared to his son Solomon, who had great wealth. Job, great wealth, lost it all. Continued to worship and God blessed him with even more than he had before. And then lastly, in the New Testament, think about Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man. When Jesus was on the cross, he went to the authorities and he said, hey, can I have his body? He went and he took off Jesus' body from the cross and laid him in his own tomb. Only rich people had tombs for for themselves. And, And Joseph of Arimathea had one. And so all throughout the scripture, there's nothing intrinsically bad or wrong with with, uh, being wise with your money. And there's nothing intrinsically uh, 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 virtuous about being poor either. (coughs) In fact, and I say this often, we did a whole series on working. God has given you gifts. He's given you um, talents. You use them for his glory. If you can run the place, run the joint. Work your way all the way up. But do it for God's fame and for His renown. I know no matter how much money you make, if God has a hold of your heart, you're going to live a life with your hands open. God, you can put whatever in my my bank account, you can put whatever in my home, and you can take it away. Blessed be your name. So do. Use the talents. I think it's an act in a form of worship. Use those talents. Just don't do it to the neglect of your family and to the neglect of your soul. Earn it. Do the best that you can. Run the place. And do it for his fame and for his renown. And if he's called you to live hand to mouth like he has our friends who we help support, do that for his fame and for his renown. Trusting that he will supply Every need that you have. According to his desires and his will. And if he doesn't, blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. You might be saying, all right, Scott, I understand. I get it. But let me just tell you, I'm in the poor category and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I want to read you one quick verse, and then I'll close this out. Oh, one, one quick thing. Write down Proverbs 38.9, if, if you're taking any kind of notes. Uh, Solomon says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. I, I love that verse. Says, give me a lot. I mean, don't give me too much, but don't give me too little. I want to live a life with my hands open so that I don't defame your name. My desire is for you. It's not for my money. My desire is for you. I want a little life that's open. And you say, look, I just, I, you know, that's all good and well and all, but I just need to pay my mortgage. One quick verse, 1 John three seventeen. If anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? If you're here this morning, you're at the right place. Because we desire to help you in a way that glorifies Christ. 
If you need help paying your bills, you've come on hard times for various reasons, lost your job, whatever the case may be, in a, in, in a responsible way, we want to help you. The elders are beyond generous when it comes to those things. And we want to do that for you. And so if you'll just stop by the Connection Center on the way out and say, hey, I need Scott to call me. You don't even have to say why. I'll give you a call this week, and we'll follow up, and we'll help you the best that we can. Because you have been generous for the sake of the gospel. And we want to pass it on to those who are in need. So, just kind of wrap it up. The Bible says that the thing that we need the most, and the thing that is only offered by our Heavenly Father, is a Savior. Whether you're a pauper, or you're King Solomon, you need a Savior. Whether you have more than enough, or never enough, you need a Savior. And the thrust of your life should be for Christ and for Jesus. The thrust of your life should be to glorify His name and His grace. No matter where you are financially. And in that, the Savior of the world will not be a means to an end. He is the end. He will not be your heavenly bellhop. He will not be a means to worship somebody or something else. He is the one that we worship. And I'm reminded of that in Colossians 1, 17 and 18. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the first word from the dead, that in everything, in sickness and in health, in prosperity and in poverty, and in happiness and in despair, He is preeminent. He is at the top. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that we long to gain. He is the one that we want. And He is the one that we want the most. He is preeminent. He is the one who is to be worshipped. And He is the one who is offered in the Scriptures. And that's something for us to think about this week. Father, may You be preeminent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.